I want to talk this morning about an Old Testament character. I want to talk about Gideon. Does everybody know the story of Gideon? We're going to talk about Gideon today, and we're going to read a lot in the Bible today because this is worth reading about. But Gideon was a very interesting character. In fact, there's many things about the Old Testament characters that we have um, good things to talk about. The Old Testament is an interesting part of the Bible. It's, it's not something that we can have to be um, afraid of. We don't have to live under the fear of the Old Testament because the Old Testament has some very, very strict laws that we just don't have to live by anymore. We do not have to live under the laws of the Old Testament because if we, if we had to, we couldn't, just so you know that. If you had to, you couldn't. All the law was intended to do was to show us how bad we were. And then Jesus... The New Covenant, the New Testament, became the sacrifice for us. And now he handles the law. He fulfilled the law. He didn't do away with it. He fulfilled it. We just have to live under the spirit of it. It's still God's word, but we're not bound by the law anymore. Anyway, Gideon was, and a lot of these Old Testament characters were. And you know what's interesting about Old Testament characters? That often we make them superheroes. We build them into something that they really weren't. We think of Moses, and we think of Elijah, and we think of David, and we think of Daniel, and we think of Gideon, and we think of all these men as being um, the fabulous five, or, or you know, these superheroes that we create in comic books. They weren't. They were just people, just like me and you. They were no different than us. In fact, in many cases, they didn't have the advantages that we have, but they were used of God. When we look at Gideon in the Old Testament, there are some things we can, and can re- we can and cannot relate to. We want to talk about some of those today. We can relate with Gideon being scared of the call that God placed on his life. But I can't relate to a battle to the death with an enemy. I can relate to thinking that I'm too weak I'm too poor, I'm too uneducated, I'm too young to be used of God. Yeah, I'm too young to be used of God. I I can relate to that. Because I'm young. (laughs) Because I'm a young man. I'm only 51 years old. I'm only halfway to heaven. I'm only halfway there. I've got a lot of living to do. I'm a young man. I can relate to that. But I can't relate, I cannot relate to God proving my calling by me going in and making a meal to share with the angel of the Lord only to have that meal burned up on an altar. I've never done that. I can't relate to that. Where I would go in and and prepare this meal, put it on this rock, and then have the angel of the Lord touch it with a stick and for that to burn up. I can't relate to that. It never happened to me. I can relate to asking God a lot of questions about what his intent is for my life. But I can't relate to taking the sheep's fleece and laying it before the Lord and asking the Lord to make it wet or to make it dry. I can't relate to that. I don't even know what a sheep's fleece is other than the fact it's a piece of wool. I can't relate to that. We can relate to the battling the forces of the enemy in our lives and in our traditions that would actually give us, in some ways, false religions. But I can't relate to taking my father's best seven-year-old bull 
tearing down the altar of Baal, killing the bull, and using the Asherah fertility pole as wood to burn the bull. Have you ever done that? <laughs> Have you ever wanted to do that? <laughs> See, there's so many things here that I can and can't relate to, but let me ask you the most important question when it comes to relational. See, God called Gideon a mighty warrior, a man of valor. How did he do that? He knew Gideon for what Gideon really was, not for what he physically was, but his character. Now, let me ask you, God knows you better than you know yourself. Can you relate to the fact that God could call you a mighty warrior? A man of valor. Let's keep that question in mind. As we read through the Gideon story, beginning in chapter 6, and we're going to read through the message. The message is an interesting translation because it reads more of a story form. And I don't want to read the King James Version of this because we would never understand it. Nothing about the King James Version, uncle. But the message just gives us in a way that we can relate to this in a little different way. So if you would, if you have a message translation, you can read it. If not, Allie's going to play it up here on the screen for us, and we're going to read through it. Let's start in chapter 6, Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. It says, Yet again, the people of Israel went back to doing evil in God's sight. God put them under the, the domination of Midian for seven years. Midian overpowered Israel. Because of Midian, the people of Israel made themselves hideouts in the mountains, caves, and forts. When Israel planted its crops, Midian and Amalek, the Easterners, would invade them, camp in their fields, and destroy their crops all the way to Gaza. They left nothing for them to live on, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. Bringing their cattle and tents, they came in and took over, like an invasion of locusts, and their camels passed counting. They marched in and devastated the country. The people of Israel, reduced to grinding poverty by Midian, cried out to God for help. One time when the people of Israel had cried out to God because of Midian, God sent them a prophet with this message. God, the God of Israel, says, I delivered you from Egypt. I freed you from a life of slavery. I rescued you from Egypt's brutality. And then from every oppressor, I pushed them out of your way. I gave you their land, and I said to you, I am God, your God. Don't for a minute be afraid of the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but you didn't listen to me. Let's stop there for a minute. See, up to this point in time, we're just kind of setting the stage for how bad it was for Israel and the people there. It wasn't a good life. They had a lot of problems, and they were crying out to God for help. But a couple things of interest here. Number one, God wasn't the one that left them. They left God. And thus, they are in their own straits of their situation. Now, let me ask the question. Are there consequences for sin and rebellion? Are there consequences of sin and rebellion? There were there, obviously, because... They left God. If you go back to the first verse, they left God and they began doing evil again in the sight of God. And so God gave them over to the Midianites for seven years. So there was clearly a consequence. So if there was a consequence then, 
Do you think there are consequences now? Do you think that if you give your life back to the enemy that you once had given to God, do you think that there are consequences in your life for that? Now, I'm not sure that we can relate a sin to an action. I don't want to go there. I don't want to say, I will never say that because you're sick, you've sinned. But that's not my position to say that. And I would never make that, they would never make that claim. I would never say that to people. I would never put that condemnation on people. I don't know how God does it today like he did it then. And there, there were very serious consequences. I mean, there were situations that if you sinned and sometimes in the Old Testament, you would lose your life. Well, thank goodness that we're not into that law anymore. But don't be delusional in the fact that there's no consequences for your sin either. So we can't say because you did this, this is going to happen to you over here. I can't say that. But understand there are still consequences for your sin. And here's the thing that kind of, you know, we live in a world of grace. And yes, I love grace. I love it. But I'm afraid that sometimes we can be grace abusers. We talked about it in class Wednesday night. We talked about how sometimes we can get into a repeated sin and say, God will cover me by grace. You know what God covers with grace? Me. My failures, my humanity, my frailties. But I think we can get dangerously close to a line here if we think that God is going to cover my repeated willful sin. Do you ever sin willfully? Do you ever commit the same sin more than once? Yeah, I think you probably do. I know I have done, and I do. But I'm careful. I'm learning to be more careful about it every day. In Hebrews chapter 10, Verses 26 through 31, I think it gives us a very stern warning about it. Beginning in chapter uh, 10, verse 26, this is in the NIV. It says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think that a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? That means that I've taken advantage of it, it means that I'm using it to my advantage. It means that I've insulted the spirit of grace. Strong word, but it's from the Bible. It's from the Lord telling us today, people, you're going to make mistakes. We understand that. And God's grace is going to forgive you when you make mistakes. But if I'm going to continue in a lifestyle that is not becoming of the Lord, I am insulting the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The key to it is that the, is that the Lord 
will judge his people. I'm not judging you. I am in no position to judge you, nor is anybody here in any position to judge me or anyone else. The Lord will judge. Your job is to live in a way that you would not walk unworthily of the Lord. Okay? That's a very serious allegation to think that we could fall out from under God's grace. And again, it's got to be a repetitive over and over sin. So I don't want to scare people. I don't want to put them under condemnation. I just want people to realize that we do have actions and accountability for our actions. Let's continue on. Verse 11 of uh, Judges chapter 6. It says, One day the angel of God came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. I didn't know Oprah was then. I thought Oprah was just on a TV show here. Well, here's Oprah showing up in the Old Testament. Can you believe that? The oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, whose son Gideon, this is really important, whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press. We'll come back to that. Out of sight of the Midianites, the angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, almighty warrior, or in some translations, O oh, man of valor. And Gideon replied, With me? <laughs> My master, if God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about, telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He has turned us over to Midian. This is the first time we see Gideon coming into the story. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. First of all, who has ever threshed wheat? Who's ever been in a wine press? Uh, here's what happens here. When you thresh wheat, I've never done it, I've just read the commentary. When, it, when you thresh wheat, you typically do it out in the open where you have the wind is blowing the chaff of the, of the wheat and letting the heavy kernels fall. So the wind is blowing away all the junk all the loose stuff, and the kernel, which is heavier than the chaff, will fall to the floor. In a wine press, you're squeezing grapes, and that is typically done in an enclosed area in a big bowl, okay, where you squeeze the juice and the juice falls in a bowl. There is no reason that you would be threshing wheat in a wine press unless you were afraid. The reason he was in the wine press was because he didn't want to be out in the open where the Midianites would see him threshing wheat because they were going to come and steal his food. So Gideon, the first time we see him, he's already in a state of fear because he's threshing wheat in a wine press, something you don't normally do. Now, times are bad for the Israelites. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and other people of the east were very oppressive to them. And Gideon was full of questions and doubts. Can you blame him? No, I, I can't blame Gideon. I'm not going to call Gideon a bad man because I have those same fears. And I have those same doubts. How did God handle Gideon's questions and his doubts? This is really what's interesting here, because when Gideon said, who, me? God said, yes, you. He didn't let Gideon off the hook, and he didn't change his mind, because Gideon was afraid. Let's continue to read. Judges 6, beginning in 14. 
But God faced him directly. Go in the strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Midian. Haven't I just sent you? And Gideon said to him, Me, my master, how and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the runt of the litter. In other words, I'm the youngest boy. Barney, sorry. You're the runt of the litter. <laughs> I had to say that, Barney. I had it in my notes, too, by the way. No, I didn't really. Actually, it was in the Bible. <clears throat> It says, and God said to him, I'll be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. A Gideon said, if you're serious about this, do me a favor. Give me a sign to back up what you're telling me. Don't leave until I come back and bring you my gift. The angel said, I'll wait till you get back. Gideon went and prepared a young goat and a huge amount of unraised bread. He used over half a bushel of flour. Is that a lot of flour for a bread? Yeah, that's a lot. He put the meat in a basket and a broth in a pot and took them back under the shade of the oak tree for a sacred meal. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and unraised bread, place them on that rock, and pour the broth on them. Gideon did it. Now wait. Gideon was looking to eat this. <laughs> Gideon was kind of hungry. This was a meal that he had prepared that he was going to share. He was planning on eating the meat and eating the bread and not dumping the broth out on a rock. But that's what the angel said. And the angel of God stretched out the tip of the stick he was holding and touched the meat and the bread. Fire broke out of the rock and burned up the meat and bread while the angel of God slipped away out of sight. And Gideon knew it was the angel of God. Gideon said, oh, no, Master God, I have seen the angel of God face to face. But God reassured him, easy now, don't panic, you won't die. Then Gideon built an altar there to God and named it God's Peace. It's still called that at Oprah of Abazar. Now, isn't that interesting? God called Gideon in his weakness to be a man of valor, to be a mighty warrior, and Gideon didn't believe God. So he made the meal. God burned it up. And then he said, he built an altar, and he named it God's Peace. Where are you at today in your life? How many of you are in that questionable calling, and yet God comes and he gives you peace? God will bring his peace in the midst of a confusing time. He'll give you peace in the middle of a question mark. He doesn't give you all the answers. He just gives you peace. Wow. God called Gideon and Gideon was still afraid. God, Gideon had the promise of the unnamed prophet that told of God's delivering power. Okay, early on we, we, we read that prophet that came. We don't know who that prophet was. It was an unnamed, unnamed prophet. But Gideon had that promise from an unnamed prophet that God was going to deliver. But yet Gideon was still afraid. What kind of a man of valor is that? God calls us, and we have the Bible. We have the promises of God's Word, and we're still afraid. What kind of a man of valor is that? 
See, Gideon was not in a position of power. He never was in his own right. He never would be because he was the least of the tribe. He was the least of the family. He was not a trained warrior. He was in no position of authority or power. Yet God chose him to deliver Israel. Now, we wouldn't choose Gideon. If we were going to choose a, a deliverer, we would choose Leroy Brown, the baddest man in the town. All right? We'd go with the old song. Who sang that song? Jim Croce. Leroy Brown, baddest man in the whole darn town. Right? Yeah, I understand. All right. That's who we would choose. We would go get the biggest and the baddest. We'd get the most highly trained warrior that we could find, and we would say, you're my man. You're my man to deliver us. But that's not what God did. And the reason that God didn't do that is because he wanted to make it known that he's going to use me too. Because I'm no Leroy Brown, and neither are you in the situation that you're in. But God will take the least of our people. He'll take the least of who we are, of when we are, in our weakest moment, and make you what God wants to make you. He will make you a man of valor. Oh, mighty warrior. Let's continue on. Judges 6, verses 25. That night, this happened. God said to him, Take your father's best seven-year-old bull, the prime one, Tear down your father's Baal altar and chop down the Asherah fertility pole beside it. Then build an altar to God, your God, on the top of this hill. Take the prime bull and present it as a whole burnt offering using firewood from the Asherah pole that you cut down. So Gideon selected ten men from his servants and did exactly what God had told him. But because of his family and the people in the neighborhood, he was afraid to do it openly. Again, here's Gideon's fear. So he did it at night. Early in the morning, the people in town were shocked to find Baal's altar torn down, the Asherah pole beside it chopped down, and the prime bull burning away on the altar that had been built. They kept asking, who did this? Questions and more questions, and then the answer, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring your son, he must die. While he tore down the Baal altar and chopped down the Asherah tree, but Joash stood up to the crowd, pressing in on him. Are you going to fight Baal's battles for him? Are you going to save him? Anyone who takes Baal's side will be dead by morning. If Baal is a god, in fact, let him fight his own battles and defend his own altar. They nicknamed Gideon that day Jerob Baal because he had tore down the Baal altar and he said, let Baal fight his own battles. Now, isn't it interesting here to note that before Gideon could go out and battle the Midianites and the, and the Amalekites, that he had to destroy his own internal battles first. It's interesting why this had to happen, but I think it's very important that we get the model from this, is that we are going to enter the world, and we are going to have to conquer the world through Jesus Christ within us. But we have issues to take care of at home first. Gideon was told to go in and destroy his father's altar. What does that mean? That means traditions. That means home issues. That means potentially false religions that come from within the family and typically the hardest ones to deal with because you've got family issues here. 
Now, I'm not, I have a lot of family in this church, so I'm not talking about my family, okay? I want you to know that. <laughs> I could be in big trouble. But the point is, is that we have to examine ourselves, and we have to take care of our own issues first. We have to get into our heart first. We have to go in and remove that, that plank in my eye before I can see the speck in my brother's. I have to go in and, 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 and do the things that are, are at home that are the hardest things to do. He did it at night because he was afraid of the men, of his family. He was afraid of the town that he lived in, so he did it at night. But yet he had to destroy that first. And then his father, I thought, was a very wise man because his father did not take the town side. The father said, if Baal is God, let Baal fight his own fights. I thought it was a very wise thing to say in that situation. How many times in our lives do we have our own little religions, our own little pet peeves, our own little, our own little way we do it? We've never done it that way before. We always do it the way we do it. And we make that our God. We make that our idol. We make that the thing that we worship, our traditions, our past, our history. And God is saying, no, people, tear it down. Burn it up. Open up yourself. Open up your hands. Release what I'm asking you to release so that I can give you new what I want to give you, that I can make you who you need to be. I can make this church who I want it to be. I can make your family into what it can be. I can make you vibrant in the community that you live in because you're giving it away. You're burning up the pole of Asherah, and you're burning up your traditions. Not that all traditions are bad. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, that we are opening our hearts to God's will. And that we're now saying, okay, God, I'm going to be ready to go to battle, but I've got to take care of my internal battles first. That's really what it's saying. Are you willing to do it? Can you do it? Can I do it? Continuing on, verse 33, All the Midianites and Amalekites, the Easterners, got together, crossed the river, and made camp in the valley of Jezreel. God's Spirit came over Gideon. He blew his man's horn trumpet, and the Abyssalites came out, ready to follow him. He dispatched messengers all through Manasseh, calling them to battle, also, also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. They all came. Gideon was doing what made sense. He was calling together an army. He was going to battle the Midianites that were outnumbered them by many, many times because you couldn't even count the camels. So he was doing what made sense. He was doing what you and I would do. He would call the reinforcements. He would call the cavalry, and they would come to his aid, and they would go for a battle. He's doing exactly what made nothing wrong here. He didn't do anything wrong. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. But even with that, Gideon still didn't have it together. Even when all the people came. Now, if nobody came, I could see Gideon being a little nervous, but they all came. So Gideon said to God, if this is right... Let's continue on with verse 36. If this is right, if you're using me to save Israel, as you've said, then look, I'm placing a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If dew is on the fleece only, but, floor, but the floor is dry, then I know that you will use me to save Israel, as you said. So that's what happened. When he got up there early the next morning, he wrung out the fleece, enough dew to fill a bowl with water. Wouldn't that have been enough? But then Gideon said to God, don't be impatient with me, but let me say one more thing. I want to try another time with the fleece, but this time let the fleece still stay dry while the dew drenches the ground. And God made it happen that very night. Only the fleece was dry while the ground was wet with dew. So here Gideon is really proving his fear. 
Now, I'm not going to go here with fleeces because fleeces are dangerous. This is the only time in the Bible where a fleece was ever used. In fact, God says, do not test your God. We're not supposed to test God with fleeces. So I'm not telling you that so you go out and make a fleece. That's not right. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to have faith that God will lead us and a righteous man lives by faith, not by the test of a fleece. All right? So I'm not telling you that. I'm just reading the story, but I'm not, I'm not telling you to go put a fleece on the ground. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you to test God that way. All I'm trying to say, though, is that that just proves Gideon's fear. All right, now let's go to chapter 7. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. Jerobel, who is Gideon, got up early the next morning. All his troops were right there with him. They set up camp at Herod's Spring. The camp of Midian was in the plain north of them near the hill of Morah. God said to Gideon, you too, you have too large an army with you. I can't turn Midian over to them like this. They'll take all the credit, saying I did it all myself. And forget about me. Make a public announcement. Anyone afraid... Anyone who has any qualms at all may leave Mount Gilead now and go home. 22, 22 companies, that's 22,000 people headed for home. Ten companies, or 10,000, were left. And God said to Gideon, there are still too many. Take them down to the stream and I'll make a final cut. When I say this one goes with you, he'll go. When I say this one doesn't go, he won't go. So Gideon took the troops down to the stream Gideon said to, God said to Gideon, Everyone who laps with the tongue the way a dog laps, set on one side. And everyone who kneels to drink, drinking with his face to the water, set to the other side. Three hundred lapped with their tongues from their cupped hands. All the rest knelt to drink. God said to Gideon, I'll use the three hundred men who lapped at the stream to save you and give Midian into your hands. All the rest may go home. After Gideon took all their provisions and trumpets, he set all the Israels home. He took, up to, he took up his position with 300 men. The camp, of Gideon, the camp of Midian stretched out below them in the valley. Now here, he started off with 32,000 people. 32,000 men were ready to go to battle. And God said, too many. So he got rid of 22,000 immediately. And then he took it down to another 9,700 to 300 men. Does that make any sense? No, it, wasn't, it doesn't make any sense at all. Just to give you a, an understanding of this, these people, um, Traverse City has a population of 15,000 people. Charlevoix County has about 26,000 people in Charlevoix County. So God sent all of Charlevoix County home so with, with only enough people that would fill his church. This church can seat about 300 people. And he used that to fight the battle against an unnumbered foe. And why did he do that? He did it because that way God would get the glory with no question about it. So where in your life now can you apply this? How many things in your life are happening that you don't seem to understand? But you would do it differently if you were God. You would do it differently. And God says, no, I'm going to strip you of some things. I'm going to take it down now. I'm going to put you in a position that when it happens, you're going to know it's only God that did it. It may be a healing. It may be some test in your body. It may be some test in your finances. It may be some test in your home relationships that you get to the point where you just can't bear anymore. 
But God says, hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. When it gets to the very end, I'll be there for you, I'll deliver you, and you will know that it was my hand that did it. There's peace there. There's peace there. No reason to be upset about this. No reason to panic. No reason to think that God had fallen off the rocking chair and he hit his head. No, there's peace there knowing that God has everything under control. God is doing it just the way he wants to do it because he wants the glory out of it. Why do I panic? Why do I fear? Why do I not sleep well at night when I know that? Hebrews 10, chapter, chapter 10, verses 35 to 39 says, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And that's what we're to do. We are the righteousness of God. And our call is to live by faith. Not live by what we see. Not live by the enemy or by the armies that we can amass. Not live by our checkbook. Not live by our health. Not live by the size of our home. Not live by our job. Not live by our friends and and, and how popular we are. We are to live by faith. And that's scary, but at the same time, there's peace there if you know that you're living with the God of Gideon. All right, let's continue on. Because Gideon finally wins the battle. Judges chapter 9, chapter 7, sorry, 9 through 14 says, That night Gideon told, God told Gideon, Get up and go down to the camp. I'll give it, I've, I've given it to you. <laughs> I'm not, he said, I'm not, I, I'll give it to you. He says, I've given it to you. If you have any doubts about going down, go down with Pura, your armor bearer. Then when you hear what they're saying, you'll be bold and confident. He and his armor-bearer, Pira, went down near the place where the sentries were posted. Midian and Amalek, all the Easterners, were spread out on the plain like a swarm of locusts, and their camels passed counting, like grains of sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just in time to hear a man tell his friend a dream. He said, I had this dream. A loaf of barley bread tumbled into the Midian camp. It came to the tent, and it hit so hard it collapsed. The tent fell. What a weird dream. His friend said, oh, this has to be the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. There, there, is no, there is no common sense to that dream. But here's the deal. God took what wasn't common sense and, told, and, and, and made the revelation. That was clearly God's revelation to that man who wasn't a Christian. Understand that. The man that gave the, the interpretation of the dream was not a Christian man. He was the enemy of the Israelites. But, he, but God gave him the interpretation of the dream and said, oh, that has to be the sword of Gideon. And the reason that Gideon had to hear that, again, because Gideon is a man like us that has our fears and has our concerns, it gave Gideon the confidence to know, finally, after all of this testing, after all of the proof that God gave to Gideon, Gideon, I've already given this to you. Just take it. Just take it. Lawrence, just take the healing. I've already given it to you. Floyd, take the healing. I've already given it to you. I've already given it to you. Just take it. 15 through 22. When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he went to his knees before God in prayer. Then he went back to the Israelite camp and said, Get up and get going. God has given us the Midianite army. 
He divided the 300 men into three companies. He gave each man a trumpet and an empty jar with a torch in the jar. He said, watch me and do what I do. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly what I do. When I and those with me blow the trumpets, you also around the camp blow your trumpets and shout for God and for Gideon. Gideon and his 300 men, or Gideon and his 100 men, got to the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, middle of the night, just after the sentries had been posted. They blew the trumpets, at the same time smashing the jars they carried. All three companies, or all 300 people, blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held the torches in their left hands and trumpets in their right hands, ready to blow, and shouted, a sword for Gideon, a sword for God and for Gideon. They were all stationed around the camp, each man at his post. The whole midnight camp jumped to its feet. They yelled and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, God aimed each midnight sword against his companion all over the camp, and they ran for their lives. Basically, they killed each other. And Gideon didn't do anything. He never lifted a sword. He never had to go into battle. God did it. God will do it in your life. He will do it exactly as he wills in your life, like he willed for Gideon to do it then, just with the smashing of jars and the blowing of trumpets. He will do it in your life and mine. As we conclude this morning, where is God in your life? Is he the God of Gideon? Can we relate to Gideon in the fact that God called him a man of valor in the middle of his fear? Remember, when we see Gideon, he wasn't out jousting, practicing his swordsmanship. He was threshing wheat in a wine press because he was afraid. That gives me great hope. That gives me great encouragement. Because I don't have to be anything more than I am. And God will use me. And God will use you. Young person, middle-aged person, it doesn't make any difference who you are. Because of the cross, because of the blood of Christ in our life, we are all we need to be. And he will win every battle that he puts us up against because he is in control. There's a couple lessons we can learn. One of the lessons is the very first chapter, very first verse, chapter 6. They were in the problem they were in because they disobeyed God. Lesson number one, stop doing what you're doing if it's wrong. This is not condemnation. This is freedom talk. Just stop. The reason they were in in the first place is because they were doing things they shouldn't have been doing. So, what's your lesson? The lesson is, if you're doing repeated things that are wrong, just stop. It doesn't have to be hard. Don't have to holler at you. I don't have to get mad at anybody. Just simply say the words. Stop doing them. And then live for God. Stop doing it and live for God. Stop sinning willfully and live for God. It's not hard. Second lesson that we can learn is that God wins the way He wants to win. In the way He wants to win, in the timing that He wants. See, there's a lot of things going on in our lives that we don't understand. 
A lot of things that I don't understand the timing or the sequence of events. But God is saying, Mike, are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? Almighty man of valor, almighty warrior, do you know where your strength comes from? Do you know where your daily sustenance comes from? And are you going to trust me to get through the battle? I want to ask you some questions this morning. Are you letting God be the God of Gideon for you? Are you letting him be? Can he call you, almighty warrior, almighty man of valor, almighty woman of valor? Valor? Or are you holding on to things so tightly with your hands that you're limiting his power to work in your life? This really is a very, very, very encouraging message today. This is not a message of condemnation at all. This is a message of hope, a message of God's peace in the midst of a turmoil, of a struggle, in the midst of confusion in your life if you're confused. So I want to end this morning by opening up the altars as we always do. We're going to sing a song of closing. And if you really want to press in again, if you want to prove to God, if you want to say, Father, forgive me for the times that I've tested you, forgive me for the times that I've doubted you, forgive me for the times that I haven't been or I've thought too much of myself, forgive me for pride. For, forgive me for ego that is unbounded ego. doesn't mean we can't be confident in ourselves because we're supposed to be, but we need to know where our strength comes from. Our strength comes from the Lord and only from the Lord. So as you close your eyes and bow your head, I want you to just examine your heart for a minute. We're gonna go, I want to be quiet. I'm going to stop talking. And I just want you to ask the Lord the questions. Say, Father, can you call me almighty man of valor? With what you know of me, Father, can you call me that? And if not, forgive me and what can I do to be, to be in, that, in that camp? What can I do, Father? You know, I think it was very important that Gideon placed that altar there and he called it God's peace. Because that's what God wants to give you and I in the times that we live which we're struggling is his peace. A peaceful man is a powerful man. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, as we self-examine ourselves now, Father, if we're doing some things that we shouldn't be doing, I pray that you give us the power, the ability, the understanding, the wisdom to stop and then to live for you and to live pleasing to you in a life worthy of the manner of the Lord, living in a, walking in a, in a manner worthy of the Lord. Help us to make that our prayer. Father, and then help us to have God's peace knowing that you are going to take care of our situation as we are righteousness and as we live by faith, a righteous man lives by faith. And as we live with faith, knowing that you're going to take our next step, give us the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are God and that you are going to deliver us 
according to your perfect will, according to the timing that you have for our life, in a manner that would give you glory. And as I rest in that, I am a peaceful man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, now I just pray that you would just go with us today. Father, as we go into our homes, Father, we just pray that you would be with us. Lord, give us boldness. Give us boldness to tear down the altars of Baal in our lives. Lord, that we would go after that Asherah pole and and we would use it, Father, to to burn the altar, to burn the sacrifice of our own self-worth, our own self-deception, our own self-little religious idols that we have. Do the work in our lives, Father, and then let us be that mighty warrior, Lord, that would conquer our hearts, our lives, and then conquer the world around us and help us to do our part in that in Jesus' name. Free us from our own concerns and our own fears, Father, as we open our hearts and lives to you today. We freely give it to you, and we call out your power. We call out your victory. We call out your deliverance in our lives in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You're worthy to be praised. We give you thanks today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. You're dismissed. Hallelujah. Taking my